We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. Welcome back into L.A., Mike, after six days in Memphis. Uh, been a minute since we heard from you, man. So, yeah, let's. Uh, the floor is yours, man. Take it wherever you'd like. Yeah, the I guess you started right there, Pete. Just the that's the longest trip I've ever been on in any one city uh, in since I started in the NBA in 2006. I mean, it's a it felt like a baseball trip, but even longer than that, like where I talked to some of the guys that travel for the Dodgers and, you know, they get to a place and the whole discussion is, do you unpack your suitcase or not? And like some people do and some don't. Um, Michael, <laughs> uh-huh. Michael Thompson and I used to argue about this. I if I'm going to be there for more than two days, I may as well just unpack my suitcase because it takes about three minutes to unpack the whole thing and put it all out everywhere. So this was definitely an unpack um, type situation. And I think that it has an impact mentally uh, when you're in one place for that long and we were starting to hint at this but to keep the level of desperation and focus that's needed to beat a good team twice on the road in that kind of a situation is just very difficult to do and i'm sure as you poured through some of the the tape pete in fact i right when i turned on the uh, the pod here i heard you discussing it a little bit there are there are moments of lack of focus and just you know the lakers kind of which they showed throughout the year where they didn't necessarily uh, keep the foot on the pedal the whole time. And I just think that that's part of what happens uh, in, especially in these types of settings, even in the playoffs, because it, and it, a lot of it's because of the other team. And so my game two feeling the, the main sentiment was just sort of being, I was about probably five feet beyond, uh, from mid court, like right, right in the middle of the action. So I got a real good mm-hmm. feel for how the guys were moving. And Memphis, they were not going to be moved off their spots. Like, and the only one that really seemed to understand that was LeBron. Uh, they were just doggedly physical and super competitive defensively. I thought the switch had an impact, which you guys did a great job breaking down in one of the previous pods. And it's something they could do a little bit better with Tyus out there than Ja. And then the whole difference between the tie, the Tyus on offense with the screen roll, like those were two, a couple of tactical adjustments that you see between games. And I think the Lakers, it's easier to have your answer after a game of it, as opposed to within that certain game. 
But really, it was just about Memphis being dogged competitors and kind of earning that one. And I think when you when you step back and think that the Lakers, they it's why it was so important that they got the game one victory, uh, because if if uh, there's a chance that if you lose game one with all those days in between, Memphis actually is the one that kind of responds. And then something just goes their way in game two. And the Lakers could be looking at a, at a 0-2 hole. And then all of a sudden it's desperation. Yeah. Now, with all of that said, the desperation has to now switch back because the Lakers have to play. They have to treat these home games, I think. Uh, and, and this is where my concern would lie uh, for uh, on the Lakers side of things, that it's got to be three and four. And it's, I think that it's, it's not difficult to, to come back in game three and kind of be the team that is now the hungrier and, and sort of come out that way and establish yourself, but to do it two games in a row, that can be tricky just in the way that for Memphis. So you guys get where I'm going with this. Like this is yeah. how a playoff series goes. And at some point you have to break, you have to sort of break the expectation um, of that energy and effort in a series. And I've thought that this Laker team has, has shown, like, I think that they'll do it at least four out of seven times, but definitely not seven <laughs> out of seven times. Yeah. Probably not six out of seven times, probably not even five out of seven times. And, and that's the part that reminds me more of the, the kind of 08, 09 and 09, 10 Lakers, as opposed to even like the 1920 Lakers, where once the 1920 team figured it out, you could kind of expect them to go and keep that, keep going in a certain direction. This team to me seems a little bit more, um, there's a little more ebb and flow. And, and I think that's based on some of the personalities that they have in the team, but it's good enough. It's good enough to win a series. And, and that's where I, I think it'll be interesting to see how these, these three and four games go. Yeah. The, uh, the play that you, uh, walk, that you logged in on as I was in the middle of describing, um, I really speaks to kind of the point that, uh, to the point that you were just making in, we were up 14 to 11 in the first quarter and, there was a play where we gave up eight points before the ball crossed half court again. And in that play, all eight points were inattention points, right? So the first point on that play, Mike, comes from Anthony Davis just standing in the key while Tillman is at above the circle, just stands there the whole p defensive possession, defensive three seconds, Kennard makes the free throw. They inbound the ball, they run a set, and David Roddy relocates from one corner to the other, and Troy Brown Jr. is not paying attention to him, and just way too late goes, oh crap, I gotta get out to him. Wide open corner three, Roddy hits it. Then that's the play where D'Lo tries to inbound the ball, doesn't see, isn't paying attention to the defender. Then he closes out, they get the steal, closes out to Kennard, Kennard hits the three, D'Lo fouls him. So, by the time the ball crosses half court again, it was 14 to 11. It's a one possession game. It's 22 to 11. They've doubled them up, D, and you're in a double digit hole. And all of them were the results of inattention, right? And so I agree with Mike's assessment of kind of like the nature of this team. But I do think I do want to transition now to some of the more uh, tangible things, particularly I'd like to start with Vanderbilt um, and his presence on the in the starting unit. The offense, of, we started that game only scoring seven points in the first seven minutes. And I thought that Vanderbilt on my rewatch really stood out in that respect, D, in that they are helping off of him. Whomever's on him, they're going to help hard off of him. And they feel like they can get back in time if the ball gets passed to him on a cut to be able to challenge him enough to where he's not a good enough finisher around the rim where they're going to win enough of those battles, right, On in that respect. And with the other four guys out there being very talented, although a couple of them were struggling on offense. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on that, because in some ways it's a bit of a four on five situation. And 
Vanderbilt had a similar series in this respect last season when he was with Minnesota against the Memphis Grizzlies. So just curious your thoughts on Vando and the offense. Yeah, this is the give and take with a player like him. Anthony Davis is their best at everything on defense, mm-hmm. right? And and so I was about to call Vando like the Lakers' best perimeter defender. But if you put Anthony Davis on the perimeter, he's your best perimeter sure. defender. But Vanderbilt's the guy that you can deploy on almost any type of perimeter weapon and feel comfortable with him defending. He was on Tyus Jones the last game um, in game one. He was on Jaw, seeing him go against the Brandon Ingrams of the world and SGA. He's just great. But what you give up is the idea that Vanderbilt can be defended by a big player. Yeah. Right. And so while Vanderbilt is a small like he's a wing defensively, but he is a big on offense and that that can be used to your advantage. But it could also be a disadvantage when the other team has an elite defensive big man who then you can stash on Vanderbilt Mm -hmm. and then that guy becomes an elite help player. Right. And, And so and that's how Memphis is using Jaron Jackson Jr. as this guy who is disruptive. Now, Vanderbilt has beat them a couple of times, mostly Mm -hmm. on smart cuts. Like he has drifted weak side, and then he has relocated once Jackson has turned his head in order to focus more on AD. And that, to me, is more prevalent when AD is the guy with the ball. When it's LeBron who has the ball, those cuts are not working out as often because... Vando is playing like he is cutting into the spaces where he is then catching the ball. If he's catching it cleanly, Mm -hmm. he is catching it more in a crowd and he is not comfortable finishing in a crowd. And that is the conundrum that the Lakers are facing with jaw out Vanderbilt's an island, but without a dock. Yeah, there's no option for him. Right. And, And so he sort of doesn't have a guy to deploy his defensive skills against and he's seen his minutes go down because of that. Although there was that instance in the third quarter where the Lakers played with Vando instead of Troy and they played a bigger group in those non-AD minutes, Pete. And I thought that was an interesting change up for Vando. Yeah, I thought he was better in the non-starter minutes. It was, it was really more of that kind of Especially when Jackson's in the game, Mike, I think that the ability to help off of him is something that, I don't know, it's something for the the coaching staff to work out. It was hardly just Vando too, right? Like Dennis had a really rough game. I've got some thoughts on, on the bench and whatnot, but what what do you see from Vanderbilt, Mike? The hard part about this is once once you get into a series, it's a little bit to me like going from the fourth quarter to overtime where coaches are just reluctant to change things too much. And I think it's still early in the, in the series enough where some personnel changes and some changes in minutes could happen. But, you know, I look over and we've talked about Wendy Gabriel a lot this season. And I think, you know, I acknowledge that there are some things that he does, some mistakes that he makes that are, are not opportune. For example, the second that he checked in, he set an offensive, uh, he set an offensive screen file um, at mm-hmm. the end of the game. And just like those, a moving screen, like those kind of things. But I'm, I'm still in, where the point the point that I started with with this was Memphis's physicality and their just intensity and and their size, all of that type of stuff. Even if Wenyan doesn't have the girth, there's just the activity and the energy uh, that he brings for a few minutes. And and I, I liked the we've been talking about it all series. Like figure out between Beasley and Brown, pick one, 
and mm-hmm. but not two at the same time. And then who's the other person that could come in? Well, it's either more of one of your starters. Um, but I still think that at this point of the series, see what kind of production you can get from somebody like Wenyan for a couple minutes in that setting. And I know that this is more about Vanderbilt, but to me, that's just part of the, what the rotation is, where if that's that's if that's the case and you are giving Wenyan some minutes, then you don't have to feel like Vanderbilt needs to be um, on the court in certain situations if you're not getting the type of finishing that you might get from Gabriel if he's in those actions with LeBron, right. where he's getting that dump down pass inside when LeBron's posting up Dylan Brooks and, and you know, Vanderbilt just isn't isn't as good at catching the ball, going up and finishing um, and that kind of thing. That's one subtle difference. And Vanderbilt's certainly a better defensive player, um, in, especially on the perimeter, but isn't going to hold up that well, I don't think, on, on Jackson Jr. once he catches down low, right. um, just due to the size. And he's going to go through Gabriel too, but I think Wenning can just make it a little bit more difficult by going a little bit more vertical. And by the way, I think the real answer is just match Jackson Jr.'s minutes a little bit more with those of Anthony Davis. Right. You don't need to. Anthony Davis can play 40 minutes, you know, in a playoff game. I've seen him play 40 minutes many times in regular season games like this. And I this this brings me to a somewhat of a different point. I want to kick it back to you on Vanderbilt. But there's this whole narrative about as the as the series gets longer, it favors Memphis. It's like they're not back to backs. OK, I, I just. Oh, is that a narrative? First, yeah. It's the first round. You know, if if the series goes on, I don't think that LeBron's going to have dead legs in game six and game seven. You know, it's just does it benefit the Lakers, I guess, to have a couple days in between games. And I've just having been there and watched the games in person and seeing how these guys recover on the off day. Um, I, I I actually think that there's a part of me that thinks LeBron can benefit some from getting back into that every other day rhythm um, mm-hmm. of basketball as opposed to coming in and like getting the body going. Like LeBron right now is kind of like a Ferrari, Um, maybe with with a lot of power, though, where like once that thing is fired, it's really it's a it is a truly fine tuned machine, um, his body at this stage. But if it's if it's not running for a couple of days, you know, then it it just to get to the peak LeBron speed. And that's all. So I wanted to push back a little bit. Not that I'm an athletic trainer or a, a team doctor, but I don't think that I don't think that the Lakers like are suddenly going to evaporate um, if if they're playing every other day instead of having two days between games. I completely agree with that. I think that we, you know, we, the idea of fatigue was something that we talked a lot as the season was ending, but I think that this particular stretch, and if we can't get through it, that'll show something too, right? If we do fatigue in this uh, in this kind of seri- series, Mike, it's it's going to be informative of, uh, it's going to be informative going forward as well. Yeah, the, the small add-on to that is that like the eight games in 14 days, including the playing game, that's too many games. For any, but since then they have now had Darius. What this will be three games in twelve days or something, something what? like that. It, it's like they'll play like it's like four yes. and thirteen uh, after and so, game yeah, four. It's four yeah. and so like, guess what? Yes. So that's enough of a reset, right? Where where like exactly when you get to every other day, you can't you can't get up to eight games in fourteen days just by nature um, right. of the series. So anyway, just wanted to address that one. The thing that's interesting to me is is just to build on Mike's point, and I mentioned this in one of the three things posts during the season, is that LeBron's actually done worse with more rest. Um, some of his best statistical games have come on the second night of a back-to-back, mm. um, and some of his worst um, statistical games, so it was one game on four days rest, he shot 32%, right, in three games, 
that he had on three days rest, he shot 41.5%. On two days rest, it's 51.6. On one day's rest, he shoots 50%, basically 49.9. And on back-to-backs, on the second night of a back-to-back, he shot 54% Mm -hmm. from the field. Mm -hmm. It's like, to speak to Mike's point, it's like LeBron craves that rhythm, right? What he can't do is like just redline, right? So he can't play if it's, three games in four nights and then six games in eight nights, stuff like that. By the time you get to the end of that, particularly in those high leverage games at uh, the end of the season and coming off of a freaking foot injury where he hadn't played at all and presumably wasn't keeping his cardio up necessarily because he's got a freaking busted up foot. He was in a boot for a little while there. So there's a lot that goes on with with LeBron there. Enough of that, though. Like, the thing that I'm most interested in when it comes to the playoffs, Pete, is strategic adjustments because I think that that's the key to winning, right? Unless you've got such a... so much more talent than, than the other team and people might think that because of the Lakers and who's hurt for the Grizzlies, but the Grizzlies are a really good team, right? They're super well coached and they've got some, some high quality players still that some of the strategic adjustments, they went in Memphis's way in game two. And in speaking to the point that we were talking about with, with Vanderbilt, there are now that ball has been volleyed back to the Lakers coaching staff side, and they're going to need to make some, some strategic adjustments. You've been highlighting the, um, the non-AD minutes, for for example, and the Lakers are getting beat in those minutes. I think AD is plus 23 for the series, and the Lakers are a minus 17 in the minutes that he sat out, and that's a, that's a minus 17 in only 22 minutes, right? So they're getting outscored by almost a point per minute when, when AD is out, and you're going to lose most games when that's the case. And, and so... Vanderbilt's a piece of this. I think Mike brought up a good point with Wenyon. There's answers, I think, um, or there's more questions to ask about Troy Brown's play and picking one and a lot of different stuff. So where are you at with some of the strategic things that we need to see heading into game three tomorrow? Let's take a break and get into that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So the biggest overarching adjustment that we need to to look at at least is their switching. That was the biggest thing that changed is the frequency of their switches. In game one, we were watching Austin Reeves dominate down the stretch against a drop coverage, right? Uh, a lot of the great looks that we got were coming out of Memphis starting in that in that manner. When you switch, it changes how you attack on the offensive end. And the thing that stood out to me in the, the rewatch centered around Anthony Davis in terms of things that need to improve – and you brought up a great term that I think really applies to the overarching theme here, Darius, in the last one, the idea of patience. This is something that I think applies to D'Lo as well. D'Lo was often trying to make a great play instead of a simple one, like make a really tough contested shot or hit Anthony Davis with a pass in a tight passing window type of thing. AD, when he's catching the ball, they're all converging on him, particularly when Vando's in the game, right? Like they're, but but even if he's not, they're selling out from the weak side low man, right? So he's gonna drop down from whomever that corner is. Where if AD gets the ball and catches and just waits a beat, it's either gonna be that corner three point shooter, that guy on a cut if it's Vando. Sometimes or Rui will make this cut sometimes too, or. Because Memphis, Mike, is really, really, really good in their help and recover situations. They're always going to do their job. So that guy is going to drop down and take that cutter away. And then it's just simple ball fake. And you got a wide open three for D'Lo or Austin on the wing, right? And so that to me is one of the over overarching themes is just like way to beat. You don't have to. Conchar got a block on AD where if AD just like caught it, took a step and pump faked, Contra would have flown by and it would have been an easy dunker layup right there. That that was one of the things that really stood out to me is that we were just rushing a little bit in ways that I think that I know it's how simple that sounds, but with AD, I think that that will make all the difference in the world. And then with LeBron, just recognizing that we have a great advantage in the post that then that's our best advantage in terms of beating the switch, Mike. Really good points. I want to speak a little I want to step outside a little bit uh, of that that box to talk about AD and LeBron. Like, so first of all, with LeBron, the Dylan Brooks stuff, I don't expect that LeBron's reaction to this is to be essentially, oh, you, I'm going to give you 40 next game and just go out of the right. game plan, which seems to be, I don't know if that's the galaxy brain idea um, for, for Dylan Brooks. I think LeBron's going to play the right way. And the right way in this game is to do more with Anthony Davis. And Davis was asked after uh, after the loss, basically, like, you know, 
what's your response going to be to this? And he, he gave his, he gave a very study, like I got a response for this, you know, like I, I wish the game, I wish the next game started tomorrow. The most recent example. So AD struggled Remember in that Chicago game at home, the, the Lakers lost one eighteen, one Oh eight, which was LeBron's first game back. He only took eight shots and he scored 15 points. And on that ensuing road trip, he went for 38, 38 and 40. Now, those teams weren't necessarily going to play AD with the same level of focus as Memphis. Those teams were not nearly as good um, as Memphis defensively. But even if the double comes early, like he still has to be aggressive. He still has, to, and he will make a lot of the shots that he missed um, in that game. So I think that, like, that's to me where this starts. And I know I'm I'm talking more about the offensive end, but to me that uh, the defensive end was pretty good, other than losing some of what Pete already talked about, but. I just I don't think that you go into a game like this where you're challenged if you're AD, you have 13 points on 14 shots and and come out with a clunker um, or a dud. And if Anthony Davis is scoring effective, effectively inside and or um, passing out of double teams and then crashing the offensive glass where he brutalized Memphis, especially in the first game, then I think that sets a whole different tone of the game. And it makes things a lot easier for the Lakers on offense where it's not feeling like they just have to hunt the mismatch. And, you know, LeBron has to post up Dylan Brooks 17 times, which he could do and which he could be very efficient at doing. But I still think that AD is the thing that breaks um, this type of a defense from Memphis. Yeah, Pete, you you mentioned patience. And that's a point I was talking about a little bit in yesterday's pod as well. It's it's an interesting thing, though. Memphis isn't sending hard doubles when AD is catching the ball and he's turning and facing. They're sending doubles when his back is turned. Yes. And and so that idea that I mentioned in the last pod about AD starting to hear ghosts, it's because when he's catching the ball and he's in a crowd, he doesn't know where, unless you have eyes everywhere, then you can't see exactly what angle the guy is coming from exactly where he's going to try to contest your shot. And the contrast stuff was just sort of AD not having, let's just face it, he's not the same explosive player he was in the title season. Mm -hmm. Like he can get there at some times, but he's just not that same dude. And so that was a great play that Contar made. I also think if it was three seasons ago and four leg injuries ago, AD probably just puts that right on his head, mm-hmm. right? It, so there's that part of things too. There's certain things I look for with, with AD and it tells me a lot about not necessarily what his level of, of engagement is, but just how much he's, how much damage he's going to do in, in any given game. And one of those things is how much he's fighting for offensive rebounding position. Right. Just how many and rebounds he gets in general. Yeah. One of the reasons why I'm not saying that necessarily rebounds in general, but just how much he's fighting is because he will draw fouls going for offensive rebounds a fair amount. And those show up as nothing in the stat sheet. Super you will never though. see they show up in that plus minus that, though, stat. that that helps the hell out of the of a, a plus minus. It totally does. And so I saw him going to the offensive glass a fair amount and Memphis adjusted to him as well, where they were basically face guarding and then chipping him the way that you do like a great pass rusher. It's just like, oh, yeah, the offensive tackles on you and the tight end and the running back. It's just like, yeah, bro, you're not getting to these. It's one of the reasons why I want to play Wenyon some because... Wenyon's a dude who will clean up in the wake of that. He is like the secondary linebacker who's coming behind the great pass rusher. It's just like, hey, bro, like 
y'all messed up mm-hmm. devoting all of these resources to this one dude because I'm going to get to the quarterback too. And Wenyon is so good at manipulating angles mm-hmm. in, in uh, getting to the offensive class. If, if I can just add one Wenyon, pro Wenyon argument too. We blitzed Bain after he scored. These We're talking that bench unit that I'm, I'm always worried about. Bain scored like eight straight points in the the first and second quarter and we blitzed him when ad came back in the game and forced a turnover and he's he's a fairly uncomfortable ball handler bane is that's something that wenyan can do if you don't trust him in that drop he is somebody that if you want to blitz or be more aggressive in your pick and roll coverages Wenyon can help there too yeah so in the ad wenyan tandem tandem is is also something that i wouldn't mind exploring again that basically went away once once ad once lebron came back healthy I digress. There's so many things that I feel like the Lakers can try to do tactically to adjust to what Memphis was doing. But one of the things is, is just like AD just has to be better. He has to finish better inside and he's got to make some of these shots. Like I bet if you asked AD, show me the tape again, look at these shots that I missed. What could I have done better? And I'm sure that he would say like, I could get better position here or I could play with more balance Mm -hmm. there. But I also bet in his mind of minds, he's just going to say like, well, I back rim that. That was just a little bit off. Like instead of missing all of those, like even if he makes two or three more of those, he's basically got a 20 point night and the score within the context of the game probably changes too. But beating the switch is going to be super important and he is going to have to play with more force, particularly against Brooks, when Brooks and Bain are both the types of defenders that will get underneath him and AD is going to have to power through that. One of the things that you teach a defender, especially if there's a size disadvantage, is to foul with your body, quote unquote. And I'm not saying that, oh, Brooks is fouling him and the ref should be calling this. This isn't a complaint about the referees. But if you watch the, the tape on that, a lot of AD's shots, like Brooks is given a little chest bump or a belly bump as AD's turning and shooting and he's, you know, He's being affected by this. And so like winning that ground game, I think is super important for AD because that's going to continue. That's the the book on guarding Anthony Davis in isolation. And that's what he's going to have to beat. Yeah. So Mike, like this is where the idea of beating the switch, like there's also a bunch of stuff too, man. It's just like when they're not playing behind him. Right. And so the Lakers aren't incorporating a ton of weak side movement. They're not flashing to the high post after they get the switch. Like the one time that the one time they did beat the front, it was actually AD throwing the pass to Rui when D'Lo was the guy who wasn't really comfortable making that lob over the top because of the way that Memphis's defense was what was playing. And that. AD's flash wasn't even a good flash. He just sort of walked up to the top of the key and caught the ball because he was bigger than everyone else. Like there's a certain amount of playing with pace and playing with force that the Lakers just didn't do enough of. Mm -hmm. LeBron did plenty of that, but not enough players did. Some of that is on AD, of course, like he's their second best player or their best player. And he just needs to go out there and and play with that Play with the style and the force that you know he can. He did that much better in game one. And I'm looking for him to return to that in game three. Results be damned. Because if he plays with that level of force, he's going to draw more fouls and he's going to score inside. He's going to get to the foul line more. And it's going to snowball for him in the right way. Whereas I thought it snowballed against him in the last game and he never found his way back on track. 
Yeah. So the level of force thing to me is a, is a good way to describe essentially the whole game uh, and the whole game two and what's going to happen in the game three. And I think a very important part of this dimension is that we're about to get a rabid Laker crowd. Uh, it's it's going to be hey. it's going to be wild in the building because because it's so I, I always talk about this right the Laker the Lakers are smart like the Laker fans are smart so they know the team is coming in one one therefore they know that like they just like with a LeBron James on his roster if he looks up and he has enough ingredients he's gonna be is you know mentally he's gonna be focused a little bit more and he's gonna be locked in and he's gonna have some belief and I think that what the Lakers did. Um, even in losing game two, but in coming back with a split, I think that they have engaged the fan base to yeah. know that they can do something here. Um, and I think that they've watched the rest of the playoffs in the Western Conference. So there's a there's a real reason to believe. And therefore, I think that takes care of some of the stuff with the with the energy and with the effort that's gonna, that would come anyway. That would come in a neutral gym. But mm-hmm. kinds of things where if a player like if Austin Reeves drives in and gets body checked by Dylan Brooks or. Uh, or Desmond Bain in the first quarter, he's not just going to stop doing that. And and that's part of what I think can happen in a road game when things just think can snowball in the wrong direction. And by the way, the Lakers didn't do that. They didn't quit. They didn't succumb. Nope. You know, they did keep coming, um, even if not in the best ways in terms of execution. And I think that some what you guys have really expertly broken down in terms of the the adjustments, even if it's as simple as the the way that they handle screen roll, whether Jaws in or not, because Tyus is going to play a heavy amount, um, and the way that they handle Memphis if they're going to switch again, they're going to have some good answers for that. And and even even if not, right, they're just that difference in atmosphere is going to help the Lakers, and it's going to hurt the Grizzlies some in Game Three. Game Four could be a little different. We can talk yeah. about that after Game Three. Uh, but for how Game Three is going to go, those are some natural advantages that they're going to have, and I I do think that the players will respond to it. I think you're spot on with that. And uh, LeBron was talking about this afterward, too. He looked over at AD and was like, I think this is the first one in our house with the full house. It's the first one in 10 years in in a full house in L.A. where and even that one, that was after Kobe, Kobe's Achilles injury. That was a very quick series. We got swept by the Spurs that year. So it's been a long time D, since we had a full house uh, in downtown L.A. for a Laker game. Um, really looking forward to that. Crowd's going to be crazy. My wife was at the Warriors game last night. Warriors were down 0-2. And going into the game, she said, I hope the crowd is ready. Because she had been to a couple of games where she is sort of lamenting the the Chase Center crowd. And my wife has been a Warriors fan for a long time. And so she had plenty plenty of days and nights at Oracle. And so she knows what a great Warriors crowd is like. And she was she was texting me during the game like this crowd is amazing. The crowd's going crazy like we're going crazy. And Lakers fans are OG at this, Mike. They're well known around the league. I even heard Bill Simmons talking about the Lakers crowd and basically being like people think the Lakers crowd is the Miami Heat crowd. And the Lakers crowd are not the Miami Heat crowd. They are they are one of the crowds that and I'm speaking as Bill Simmons here, mm-hmm. like they are one of the crowds that I respect because they know. And so I expect the crowd to be there. What I also expect to be there are more little tweaks to the game plan and more independent, not independent, but a better understanding now of what some of these guys are going to do on the Memphis side offensively after having two days of two games worth of tape 
on some of these these guys. This is why I love the playoffs, right? And so last game, Xavier Tillman went the hell off because the Lakers were defending pick and rolls a very specific way. And Tillman also played great, like in yeah. his own right, like on just on catches, he was he was attacking quickly and, and he was just like, you're playing off me. I'm going to eat up that space. He was doing a lot to sort of generate his own offense, but he also got just a ton of spoon fed looks, Pete, where Tyus Jones coming off of a pick and roll, he... Jones just jumps like he's going to shoot a jump shot and the Lakers are going over the top on screens and then AD gets engaged and he goes up to challenge the jump shot and then Jones just dumps it off to Tillman who then walks in for a layup or a little jump hook over like a small player. Those are the types of things where I fully expect the Lakers to be more locked in into like, okay, Tyus Jones, like you want to shoot 15 footers all game, shoot 20 of those Mm. if you want. Like I expect more cat and mouse games between the Lakers and how AD is engaged in the pick and roll, what the Lakers do in terms of potentially switching more and blitzing more and making other players beat them. Right. Because I think that there's so much on the table still that the Lakers haven't shown schematically because they haven't necessarily had to. They won game one, Mike. And then in game two, they let the Grizzlies adjust to them and then they played it straight most of the way. I want to get your a quick take on from you guys on, on just the Brooks thing as to as to how it impacts the game. You know, I'm less so interested in us going back and forth about like how you shouldn't disrespect legends like, you know, I wouldn't play it like that. If I were a younger player, I wouldn't I wouldn't speak about Kobe or Jordan or LeBron like that. But I to me, this impacts more. It's like LeBron's teammates um, and the, the crowd than it does LeBron himself. And it's it's like I a little trash talk is one thing. But the the way the level to which the comments got out there and are sort of known by everybody, it, it's just going to be an area that you, you can't dismiss as being nothing sure. in the game. But I Pete and Darius, do you agree or do you think a different take that? This might just be something that gives those around LeBron a little bit more effort to sort of, okay, like you're going to, you're going to mess with that. You're going to mess with the whole thing here. I I completely agree. I'm having fantasies in my head of Austin Reeves closing out the series with a too small on Dylan Brooks at some point (laughs) later. Right. You know, it's fun. This is part of the fun. And that's why like. Dylan Brooks doesn't bother me as much as he bothers other. I, I love this kind of thing. I love the whole Dylan the villain thing, right? Uh, yeah, whatever. It, 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 right, that. <laughs> right. That's it. Every that. no, time he it. touches, every time he touches the ball, it's gonna be boo, right? When he starts, when that game starts out, and probably throughout Darius. And so that sort of, I think that adds to an overall din in the room, an energy that is gonna be there anyway, and I, that we were just talking about. I think it kind of adds an extra layer to that. Is that's probably helpful. I think it's going to be a super fun game three as a result, uh, in, in part because of that. Yeah, yeah. So I don't like Brooks. Oh, that's right. I mean, yes, you can't stand him. No, I mean, How about it's just like, you like that? this is just a side rant. It's got something to do with Brooks, but not really at all. When I played basketball when I was young, and I'm no longer young, is I played hard and I played competitive and I played a physical style, even though I was just a guard. Right. So I'd love to go in there and, and post up. I would defend the post at like Kyle Lowry little bit style. Right. But basically, you go out there and you play physical and you compete, but you respect the game and you didn't, and you didn't you grift respect like Lowry, your right? opponent. I did not grift okay, like Lowry. So. There was no grift. Yeah. Grif- when, that was pre grift. Yes. 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 <laughs> That's true. 
<laughs> world, Mike, world. So one of the things that bothers me about players like like Brooks and in some ways the Grizzlies in general at times is like they can be front runnerish. Like Brooks talks a lot when they're ahead. Didn't see any of this energy about LeBron's old after game one. That's right. Right. And so some of this stuff is just like, I poked the bear. It's just like, yeah, like you poked the bear because you beat the bear. That's how that played mm-hmm. out, right? And so I'm less interested in this idea that like Brooks is is this agitator or the new Lance Stevenson or the new, in Kobe's parlance, the new Raja Bell or Ruben Patterson. Every great player is going to have one of those guys who tries to get under your skin in in order to try to disrupt your game. That's the nature of trying to beat the player who is better than you. When the guy is better than you, then you have to resort to tactics. You gotta find a way. In order to try to beat that guy, right? And so Brooks, after the game, calling LeBron old, or I poked the bear, it's just like, congratulations. Like, you won. It's and also, one like, LeBron one. was what? the one guy who could score. <laughs> like, LeBron on Brooks was not the offensive problem in that game. Mike, and, and so your idea about the rest of the team have, like, having a certain energy for, like, for Brooks, that's fine. What I'm always looking for is, like, channeling things the right way. Brooks, Brooks is going to be Brooks, man. Like, he, to, to me, his game is symbolic of why I have a lower ceiling on Memphis in the big picture. It's like like it's because your general focus is on a bunch of other stuff rather than just the keeping the main thing the main thing. He's already succeeded in. We just spent a couple minutes on him at at my behest, oh. um, as opposed to Jaron Jackson Jr., who is far more important, right, yes. to Memphis's level of success, not only in general but in this game. Like how Jaron Jackson Jr. plays is going to have a much bigger impact. But I was just trying to. We know the Lakers are going to play like they know we know they respect Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, I don't I don't know that they're as worried about Brooks, but it just it's it's more of like, can this be another little thing that lifts the collective energy? That's all. Sure. Lifting the energy playoffs to me is so much about focus and channeling your energy the right way. And in game two, Pete, you were able to do your rewatch and you saw it that and the coaches commented on this after the game, that at the beginning of the game, the focus and the energy wasn't exactly all of the way there and channeled properly. And in coming back to L.A., whatever factor is going to lift that energy and narrow that focus to where it needs to be. I'm all for it as long as that's actually what happens. Yeah. Right. We can we can speculate that this is the thing that's going to bring it together. But really, it's the players that have to go out there and actually play the way that we know that they can play against the team that they know yeah. that they can beat. The channeling and narrowing that focus is like Dylan Brooks is not within that sphere of vision. Right. Meaning that like he doesn't deserve a whole lot of extra attention because of this. Right. And if we I think we we get too caught up in that, that could be advantageous to Memphis because you can get out of what you want to do. I don't expect for that to happen. And I do generally agree with your point, Mike, that it's probably a net positive for the Lakers in terms of the surrounding players around LeBron. But um, yeah, should be a fun game three. We will be back to uh, talk about how it went after that. But until then. You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds.
Seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.